What's up, bitches? I'm Gaia. And I'm Nita. And this is Bitch Why. Our podcast where we talk about all the things we like and dislike and why anyone would make them. We are just a couple of artsy bitches learning about what makes art good and how to talk about it. And that is it. What's poppin'? Tell me, (laughs) what are you snacking on this week? I, oh my god, Gaia. The theme of this week has been like researching the maligned women of like recent history queen so there's yeah so there's this (laughs) podcast called you're wrong about and i listened to their episodes on tanya harding courtney love yoko ono i love courtney love i love courtney love she like got really done dirty like that conspiracy that she like and you know what i think kurt would have been mad about that Oh, he definitely would have been mad about that. And then I listened to last podcast in the left, like, episode about Kurt Cobain, and they were just railing on her. And I was like, this is just rooted in sexism, truly. And then they had an episode about Marie Antoinette, uh, which was really interesting, because the, the kind of, like, conclusion they came to at the end was, like, we need to stop looking for, like, secret feminist icons in history and that we can like hold both things that like yes whatever the french monarchy was doing was bad but also like the last six months of marie antoinette's life were horribly depressing and sad and she was like unnecessarily tortured and like no human should have to go through that and i just was like wow that's so fascinating we kind of do that with media but to get that about like historical figures was great and i was like yeah we should really just do that more with people because no one is like all good and all bad i think the point of history is that everything is pretty gray but it was interesting and i also listened to a five-part series on princess diana also from you're wrong about so i'm just like I'm going through it. That thing about holding two things at the same time is something my therapist talks about a lot. Mine too. Binary thinking can really cause a lot of anxiety. Yeah. In your no, spaghetti. Like, there's this part where like they're talking about, you know, like both those things can be true. Like she was like just a 13 year old girl when she like went to the, went to France and like, it can be true that, that, like, she was definitely upholding a system that wasn't great, but she was also just, like, her job was just to wear pretty dresses. I'm not down to look for, like, martyrs in history. <sighs> I've also been watching The Crown, so I've got a lot of feelings about historical figures today. What are you having feelings about? I, this weekend, witnessed every single Twilight movie. Um, we've, yeah, been, we've been in quarantine right now for some reasons, so we our work was canceled for the past couple days, and our decision in light of that was to watch every <laughs> single Twilight movie. I don't, I don't want to talk too much about how I feel about them because of upcoming events. Yeah. But I did watch all of them. I also finished my book on tarot, and it's actually really exciting because I've been kind of messing around with doing tarot readings with kind of resources at hand and just kind of talking about them. But I just read this really long book about tarot and took a lot of notes, did like a really thorough reading of it. And now I feel very much like I can just do a tarot reading out of my brain. That's like the best feeling. What's the what's the book so we can drop it in the show notes? I read 78 Degrees of Wisdom, I think. It's by a trans woman, which is really cool. And there are good things in it and there are bad things in it. Valid. There were times where I was like, this is not my favorite thing. But then a lot of the stuff in it was actually quite profound. I was very excited and interested in it. Both things can be true. Both things are true at the same time. I think it's definitely worth a read if you're interested in learning about tarot and doing tarot readings. What can be said? Dad, if you're listening, I'm still not religious. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Anyway. Let's get to the roadmap. Let's get into the roadmap. Uh, All right, folks. Welcome to Bitch Why. If you're new around here, extra special welcome. If you've already been here before, you know that this episode and all of our episodes, except for the Taylor Swift episode, are made up of four parts. Bitch what? An introduction to what the heck we're talking about. Bitch how? A little rundown of how we think it succeeds and fails on an artistic level. Bitch time, which is three minutes of just 
everything that happens in our brain that is not intelligent being verbally transmitted into your brain. And then bitch why, a sum up of the implications, why anything matters, why the thing that we're talking about matters, and the bitch meter, which is our diversity score meter that we learned math to impart unto you. It does not cause quality, but often correlates with quality. We watched Bridgerton. We watched Bridgerton. We watched like a couple things in a row where we were like, yeah, does not correlate with quality. The prom. You're right, because it's We gave that a super good score. It's so bad. Yes, it's the prom. Anyway, it's time for Bitch What. Bitch, what are we talking about? It's the Hunger Games. We're talking about the Hunger We're Games. We're talking about the Hunger Collins. Games. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, how did you first find the Hunger Games? Actually, this is a cute story. So my grandpa and I... Am I going to cry? Probably not. But okay. my grandpa was really good friends with the owner of a bookstore, like a small family-owned bookstore. And he brought me to a bookstore and introduced me to the owner because he knew I really liked to read. And me and the owner talked for like several hours about books and like just things that I was thinking about and I was like 10 or 11 probably so we had like a super long like heart to heart and he was like I think you're really gonna like this book and it was actually like before any of the other Hunger Games books came out so it was actually mm. kind of slightly before the Hunger Games like heyday when the it must have been 2008 out. yeah so I must have been yeah. like eight or nine I was really young when I read them and it was before it was super big And so I have really fond memories of hanging out with a cool bookstore guy who talked to me about books and was excited to hear all my little child thoughts about books. And and I read it in a single day. I read all of the books after that, like as they came out in like a single day. Just a super impactful series on me as a kid. Yeah, they're super short. They're really- They're short and gripping. Yeah, that's all, I mean, really, that's all you can ask. Tell me, how did you find The Hunger Games? You're slightly less baby than me, so. I am slightly less baby. I remember in my middle school, we had, like, a, (laughs) I was an editor um, and a producer on, like, my middle school's, like, morning TV show, and, like, we were running ads for, like, a book club, and, like, the first book in the book club was The Hunger Games, so that was, like, how I first- heard about it, I regard, like, Harry Potter, Twilight, and The Hunger Games as kind of, like, the first big YA fiction movie adaptations that got really big, right? And so, like, I mapped it out. Twilight movie came out in 2008, which is when the first Hunger Games book came out. And then by 2012, Hunger Games first movie came out, and that's, like, when Twilight was just, like, on its way out. So it's just interesting to, like, map it all out but like when Hunger Games was getting really big that's when I was still stuck in the middle of like my Twilight Harry Potter situation so I was like in sixth through ninth grade through all of that I like didn't read it until the first movie came out because I was like okay I gotta get on this but I really enjoyed them I read them all really fast and I remember not being happy with the ending of them but now looking back I'm like oh no 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 that's a great ending for the books at least I, I didn't really get to like the last movie because by the time those movies were happening that's when like the second wave of like YA adaptations was happening and they were all bad so like I think the only reason I watched the last Hunger Games is because my sister wanted to see it but like kind of by the time it was like closing out I was kind of like over it I feel like the Hunger Games really sparked copycat books yeah you've I wrote it I wrote them down um (laughs) got Divergent Maze Runner Maze Runner totally Ender's Game and then Inkheart was something that they tried and then Percy Jackson not necessarily dystopian but like like is a Harry Potter. Harry Potter kind of left over, but it was, like, still in the middle of... Percy Jackson. (laughs) R.I.P. to the Percy Jackson movies. Okay, Um, I think of all of the young adult phenoms, Percy Jackson and The Hunger Games are the most valid. Books? Books, yeah. Yeah, 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 I get it. In terms of most influential, I would still say Harry Potter, like, had to be in there if you added it, like, but in terms of validity, it's not valid anymore. Yeah, no, no, like, yikes. I don't think Percy Jackson and the Hunger Games were the most influential. I think the most influential are, like, the ones you were talking about, Harry Potter, Twilight, Hunger Games, but I think in terms of the most valid, I guess, like, by valid, I mean, like, holds up in quality but also like 
you don't read it and you're like, oh, this was racist. Agree. Yeah. Like of all the books that came out, like what books would I recommend to a child or prepubescent teenager who like came up to me like, hey, Gaia, what are your book recs? I would definitely say Hunger Games Percy Jackson are the best. Yeah, there's a few things that I would only go back to read because I had, like, formed an emotional attachment to them and, like, felt comfortable enough separating my feelings from the thing to, like, from the, like, actual impact it might have had or will have on, like, a child now reading it. But, like, I could go back and read Harry Potter and and still, like, feel things from it, but know that it's not necessarily something that I would like to, to, like, pass on. I mean, I haven't reread the whole Percy Jackson series in a hot minute, although I intend to. But I read the first one recently, and I was like, yeah, like, this has the right things that kids need to know. I trust Uncle Rick. I think part of the reason <laughs> Percy Jackson is so good in terms of representation is... Hey, if you want to know what Gaia says, stay tuned for our Percy Jackson episode, which is happening soon. The Hunger Games, if you're listening to a podcast about the Hunger Games without having read the Hunger Games or not having the cultural context to know in already what the Hunger Games are about in 2021, yeah. then welcome. This is the segment for you. The Hunger Games follows a 16-year-old girl, Katniss Everdeen, as she in her little dystopian world where she's from an impoverished state. She gets put into a ritualistic teenage death match where she is all but certain to fail. And then she doesn't. And shit goes down. Yeah, and she kind of becomes like a symbol of she becomes a similar revolution. That's great. I think it's time for Bitch How. Time for Bitch How. We're talking about the movies and the books in the same episode, but Yeah. They're so close. I think in ad from like plot. These are some of the most faithful adaptations, aside from the fact that Katniss is white in the movies. Plot-wise, narrative-wise, like, everything's, like, incredibly faithful. But then when we talk about, like, the overarching, like, themes, I feel like the book hits on them all, like, ten times better. I mean, I think this is a take that's kind of starting to come into the light, but I had it before it was cool. (laughs) Um, For me, the Hunger Games are... A critique of capitalism and a totalitarian state Mm -hmm. and like the psychological and like financial and emotional and physical implications of what that is. And then I think the Hunger Games movies are literally the Hunger Games in that they are watched by people in order to like get kind of like a love triangle and like a couple hours of action. And they're not really about what the books are about. Yeah, and I think I think that's really a symptom of Twilight, actually. Thanks, Twilight. Coming out right before this. Even, I, I will even say, like, towards the end of Harry Potter, um, in the movies, they really pushed, for some reason, this, like, Harry, Ron, Hermione kind of triangle. And then you really see it in Twilight with the Team Edward, Team Jacob stuff. Yes. And then I remember the same kind of rhetoric floating around with Katniss and Peeta and Gale. And then that's what all of the movies and the marketing and the, like, fan discussions, like, became about when, like, that's kind of a footnote in the books. There is a scene where Peeta and Gail talk about how Katniss will just choose whichever one she can survive the least without. Somehow subconsciously got embedded in Suzanne Collins. Yeah, it's exactly like the scene in Eclipse where they're in the tent and Edward and Jacob are just like, well, it's up to Bella. And they like have like a weird like bro moment. It's unfortunate that like then the the more important themes of like overthrowing a corrupt government and like class consciousness all go out the window in favor of this like, who is she gonna pick? <laughs> Something that I found really important about the books is that Katniss choosing between Peeta and Gale in the beginning and through the end, she's like, I don't really want to choose either of them. I'm not really interested in dating or having sex. I really, really don't want to have children. That's something that she says explicitly over and over again throughout the books. 
Yeah. And so I always found the fact that she ends up choosing Peta over Gale as kind of a symptom of the situation that she's put into and kind of part of the oppressive mm-hmm. mindset of becoming this symbol in the capital of like the oppressed and also the symbol of the revolution that she doesn't like neither of which she really desires to be. And her having to have a love interest is just part of that job that she never wanted. That for me is super interesting. Like the fact that she has to make herself sexually engageable Mm -hmm. in order to be a valuable piece in either of those puzzles. Very fascinating. Super conscious of where she stands in her world and like as a woman in her world specifically and in the books as a woman of color. Yeah. Very fascinating. Wow, it's almost, that's a whole layer that's kind of gone with the movies. We should talk about how we're presuming that Katniss in the books is a woman of color because of evidence in the books. Well, we're not presuming. They talk about her skin tone being a lot darker than Prim's. People say that her and Gail get mistaken for like cousins or siblings a lot because their skin tone is around the same. They like look a lot alike. And Prim is lighter skinned, maybe halfway through the movies being done. People were like, oh, Actually, Katniss could have been a woman of color and like, which is weird because Suzanne Collins wrote the screenplay for the first one. Interesting. She did a really good job of like carrying over a lot of like the the aesthetics in the world, but it's weird to me that's like one change. And because I think it's such a small thing, like it was so easy to include in the movies that the fact that they didn't makes it stand out to me more. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that it the fact that, like, this woman of color would be the symbol of this huge, like, uprising would have been more impactful to me as a, as a, as a young child of color. Some readers of The Hunger Games might not have caught on to that. And I just think it's important for us to explicitly state that based on evidence in the book, we're treating book Katniss as a woman of color and movie Katniss as a white woman. Valid. I said everything was really accurate. The one change in the ending of the movies makes it feel like it ends in like a really happy way versus like the book spends some time with her ending where she talks about how like she didn't really want kids but she had them because Peta wanted to. Her and Peta really bond over their like PTSD and it's kind of the Harry Potter thing of like okay I guess I can excuse that everybody ended up with everybody else because it was like some short sort of like shared trauma bonding like no one else is gonna understand their situation so I guess if like Harry and Ginny just stay together forever it makes sense. They really explore how she kind of could never be the same again afterwards. She never healed in the way we think of like, actually, I mean, healing is a forever process. You're never, you never wake up one day and you're like, okay, cool. Everything I went through, I'm behind me now, which is what the movie tries to simplify. But in the book, she's like, no, I have coping games I have to play with myself where I, like, remember every kind thing anyone's ever done. And that's, like, a silly game, but there are so much worse games to play, which was, like, such a good, ugh, like, that ending in the book is so, like, chef's kiss. But it's weird that, like, they chalk up the ending to, like, oh, she has kids now and a family, so she's fine. I have, like, two thoughts about that. The first that, I guess maybe just because I just watched Twilight, so it's kind of on my (laughs) mind, that the ultimate happy ending for girls in books is usually having kids (sighs) is weird to me. Bella didn't even want kids. And because we just reviewed Bridgerton, which is a Mm. lot about, like, a woman's worth being in having kids. I find it frustrating when the ending of a narrative is she has kids. I think that we as a society should talk more about having, how having kids isn't for everyone and that every type of person isn't a mother And there are a lot of considerations into having kids other than, like, wanting to have them. Katniss at the end of the last book is not someone who I would, or in any of the books, because she really has serious PTSD that she is consistently struggling with. Even before she goes into the Hunger Games because of debilitating poverty, she is not emotionally equipped to be a parent. Yeah. (laughs) But also... One of, like, the most impactful series of scenes for me in the books is the scenes of Katniss after she kills President Coyne and President (sighs) Snow. Yeah. 
where she just like is consistently trying to kill herself viscerally depressed and she never gets not depressed she's never like not until the epilogue is she ever in a state where even having her take care of herself seems like a reasonable option i know a lot of people don't love mockingjay they find it depressing and boring (laughs) and too political which like read the other books (laughs) Even when I was very young, I found that so impactful that they went through and actually explored by rote the implications of the trauma Katniss has been through. Something that I was frustrated with when we talked about Bridgerton last week is that all of the healing happens off screen, all of the important conversations happen Mm -hmm. off screen, all of the really difficult nitty gritty experiences of the trauma that the characters have happens off screen. In the Hunger Games books, all of that is on screen and a huge part of the books. All of these characters that don't know how to live normally because of the trauma of existing in the world that they've lived in and the specific violence that the government has perpetrated against them. And I think right now that's a super important topic to be talking about because of specifically the trauma of being BIPOC in America right now. And, Mm -hmm. like, non-BIPOC people are starting to get to a point where we're, like, actually recognizing the literal psychological damage that can be incurred by growing up in a world that, like, continually pushes you down or literally murders you. Mm -hmm. And reading a series where that trauma obviously in the hunger games it's very pronounced because of the hunger games being a literal death match (laughs) literally battle royale literal battle royale yeah Yeah. but but kind of going through and picking up apart all of the nitty-gritty of katniss's drama is really cool and important and i'm quite happy that that was something that the books found to be a priority yeah it's so much more interesting a narrative than the kind of one we get with the other YA stuff, which is always like the kind of chosen one narrative. And it's like, oh, this is what happens when like you were always meant to be a vampire because it was like in your stars or you were always supposed to like kill Voldemort or you were always supposed to whatever. Like the effects on like just a human who's kind of thrown into a situation, a teenage girl who's just thrown into a situation that she really did not mean or ask to be a part of. I don't know, she kind of deals with stuff how, like, a human would deal with stuff, and it's, uh, it's a lot more sobering, I think, than people were expecting of a YA sort of situation, because I think people had just come off Harry Potter, which had, like, such a sweet little epilogue, and, like, people had just come off Twilight, so then I think, like, that's probably why they made that change in the movie of, like, everything's sunny and happy, look, she has babies now, she's so, everything's good. If we looked back on it, I mean, we're looking back on it now, but I think, I don't know why, I wonder if the ending of those movies is kind of keeping it from kind of staying within the cultural zeitgeist um in the same way because unfortunately people just remember movies better than they remember books in the sort of like pop culture space had the movies had the balls to kind of like go there with the ending i don't know i think it would have remained a little more memorable the hunger games like lives in ya as a category and i think Mm -hmm. that's because stephanie meyer's writing is just so fun to read and not hard to read that Everyone thinks about it as YA, but it's all, like, contact. Wait, Stephanie Meyer, Suzanne Collins. Oh, my God. (laughs) I have been been slam dunking Stephanie Meyer all weekend. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Suzanne Collins writing. Suzanne Collins Collins writing is so much like crack (laughs) that everyone forgets that The Hunger Games is such a substantial book with such heavy topics. I think it's so weird that we think of The Hunger Games as a YA book. Because it's fucked up. It is fucked up. I was thinking about that scene with the dogs being, like, recreated as the the people she's killed. Yeah. So fucked up. Like, like really, really terrifying, like, technology. I I will say the thing about the movie is that, like, revisiting them, that made me kind of sad. And I think this is what you were getting at with, like, um, the movies are a direct 
reflection of how, um, like, the capital would have made them if they were to make them. That the kids who are the career tributes in the movies kind of come off as, like, frat bro, like, excited to be there, whatever, instead of just, like, hardened children who are, like, all victims of their situations, which is more what happens in the books, is, like, they're just trained to be there, they have no feelings about what they're doing, this is just, like, the world they grew up in, and, like, the elimination of, like, the entire Avox sort of storyline is very weird to me, because it's, like, that's a direct... Uh, example of of like the cruelty that that the capital is capable of inflicting on its citizens and yet we don't see it and we only see like cruelty from Katniss's perspective however like they we really just don't get to explore in the movies at least like the ways in which so many people and so many districts like are affected differently by by the way the capital like works the irony of, like, splitting it, the last book into two movies in order to make more money off of this, like, anti-capitalist book series uh-huh. is very interesting to me. <laughs> it's very interesting. Um, yeah. The movies are just good at, like, filling in the blanks because the books are from Katniss's perspective, so any scene that's, like, not from her perspective, it doesn't feel out of left field when they're in the movie. You're like, okay, I can... I can make sense that, like, President Snow is having this conversation with, like, Seneca Crane or whatever. Like, they do a really good job of, like, feeling like everything's a part of the world. Um, and, like, recreating, like, the lavishness of the, of the capital and stuff. I don't know. I think, I think the art direction of the movies are really good. Other than that, though, I, I think they go for aesthetic over, like, substance. Yeah. In the books, a lot of the symbolic acts of civil disobedience are kind of more significant. Like the famous like three-fingered salute is really emphasized in the books to be something that's actively dangerous for the people who are doing it to participate in. And in the movies, it's just kind of like, peace out. Yeah, no one like does anything when they do it. Yeah, the whole civil unrest is less emphasized, I think. District 13 is less nuanced in the movies than in the books. I think that's super cool that District 13 is a nuanced space. It's just so smart. Like, Queen, why did you go off like that? I guess, like, something else I'd like to emphasize because I think about climate change a lot is, like, the utter waste of the capital. I think that's super cool. How things that are so challenging for the districts to get are so ubiquitous in the capital like the the way Peta and Katniss have a relationship to food that is different than the people in the capital do I and still that is... think about that drink that they drink to like throw up all their food so that yeah. they can then eat more food I don't know why it still pops into my head every once in a while yeah because that's it's like really fucked up <laughs> The Hunger Games is spoken about as if it's so far away from our world, but it also in so many ways feels so much like what we are living in. Like the party culture of opulence surrounding drinking something to make you throw up so you can keep eating versus like coming to a farm where everyone grows their own food. (laughs) I don't know, maybe because I've been doing so much traveling in the past like little phase of my life to extremely culturally different places but also I've lived in New York I've lived in Colorado I've lived in Maine I've now lived in Indiana all in like a year all all in like a year that's Um, a lot (laughs) yeah and and just seeing the contrast in the way people's lives are feels so of the Hunger Games world who are we to say that any of the little barbarisms of the United States are any less criminal than the barbarisms of the Hunger Games. I never cared for, like, dystopian novels before Hunger Games. What was it? Like, 1984, Brave New World, Fahrenheit 451. Because it felt like the metaphors were always being, like, shoved in my face um, about, like, censorship and government control. And obviously, like, those are written in time periods I was not alive in and therefore do not know how accurately they might have reflected the spaces I would have occupied. But this feels like Hunger Games took things like reality television, which is only, like, all of her 
comparisons and parallels are even clearer now, I think. But she took things that exist in our world and, like, blew them up a little bit. Like, but they never felt far away from what we're living in. And if anything, now it kind of feels closer. Yeah. Maybe it's just because we're older and we see more things. Not that, like, oh my god, this could happen tomorrow, but oh, it's already happening, but in smaller ways. Or just, like, different ways. Different ways. Our government finds plenty of ways to kill 24 children in a year. Suzanne Collins, like, talks about how she was, like, channel surfing and, like, landed on a TV show about, like, teenagers trying to win a million dollars and, like, then switch to something on CNN about the war. And then slowly the idea for the Hunger Games started to, like, happen. Okay, there's this, like, video on YouTube circulating of, like, these... 10 teenagers and they tell them like that they have to decide amongst themselves like which one of them gets to go home with a thousand dollars and this is like very recent like people are making tiktoks about it like cody co did a video on it and i just (laughs) why do we enjoy watching like teenagers go through like mental olympics to hurt each other if you haven't reread the hunger games recently Go for it. Like, Go, like th- yeah. that's like three hours of your life. That won't be wasted. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's bitch time. All right. Bitch time, go. Katniss and Johanna, 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 Joanna, Joanna. Johanna. Jo- they should have banged. They should have banged. Um, I do in like the, the scene elevator in the that one time. In, yeah, she's in the elevator and, like, Jennifer Lawrence's face is like, uh, like, it's just so funny. Um, Finnick is super hot. That casting was good. The sugar cubes thing. The sugar cubes thing. I like that his storyline, like, for how he won the Hunger Games is that he was so pretty that, like, people in the Capitol just kept buying him stuff because they wanted him to win because that's on pretty privilege. Yeah. (laughs) He was just sexy. He's just hot. He's just a sexy, Um, sexy little guy. I... Oh, um... It's hard to have shallow thoughts about this book. I really, I mean, I guess I can just talk here about how Jennifer Lawrence has kind of spawned this, like, weird, this is a smart thought. She just spawned this, like, weird, like... No, this is an intelligent thought. Uh, I said it was smart. I'll shut up. I'll shut up. Um, I'm censoring your intelligent thought because this is is a dystopian universe. Uh, PETA is a himbo in the books and, like, was not... name is PETA like the bread. Like the bread. Oh, my God. The amount of times, like, there were jokes about that in, like, middle school and high school. And I was like, it's an overdone joke. He is a himbo, though. He is a himbo. I feel like he should have been played by Logan Lerman. But Logan Lerman was, like, baby at this time. But I just don't, like... I don't know. I didn't really care for either of these men. Like, so I, I don't really care about any of the characters in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know. I just don't think they're that interesting. No, they're not. Um, but book Katniss pegs. Peta. Oh yes, yeah. And, and the reason like, she ends up with Peta is because Gale doesn't get pegged. He also like kind of killed her sister. <laughs> yeah, I always <laughs> forget that, and then I'm like, oh. yikes um i like all the names in the hunger games i am a huge they're better than jk rowling names yeah i'm a huge weird name aficionado so effie trinket Ooh, that speaks to me yeah it's a lot better than like i don't know what's a harry potter name uh Slughorn? Slughorn. Yeah, they're just smarter. Pan Am means bread, I think, in like Latin. Yeah, the bread and circuses thing is actually so really interesting. Is this capitalist critique? Oh no. We should get zapped every time we have a smart thought. We should have like a dog shot collar every time. Uh, 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 For being smart. (laughs) For being intelligent. It's so hard Um, to find stupid thoughts about this. uh, Finnick should have been gay. I know oh. him and Annie are great, but he should have been gay. Mm. Based on vibes alone. I'll, okay. Like, no, him and Annie actually have, like, such a great relationship. And, like, who am I to say that Finnick should have been gay? He should have been bi. He, he, he should have been, been bisexual. He could have been bisexual. They could have brought someone else in on that relationship. A thruple. A thruple? I love a, a thruple. 
It's time for bitch why. It's time for bitch why. Okay, okay, I'll quickly say the Jennifer Lawrence thing. I feel like Jennifer Lawrence with her, like, celebrity persona kind of spawned this thing of, like, celebrities needing to be relatable, and then she kind of just kept playing the same, like, after after Hunger Games kept playing this, like, same, like, I'm so funny and, like, relatable, like, talented Amy Schumer, almost. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> like if Amy Schumer, uh-huh. yeah, um, that's like kind of uh. what she ended up becoming. But this, like, I think she was part of this like push to to make celebrities feel more accessible, and this also like the, you know with social media and stuff like you can tweet at Idris Elba if you wanted to, like. But I really think that she was one of the first of those celebrities to really like create this weird space of like. You're accessible to me. I also know you're a celebrity, so you're untouchable, but there's this, like, I don't know. And I feel like now a lot of celebrities kind of craft their, like, I'm so relatable. I'm just like you sort of thing after after her. It is a little muddy to talk about both the books and the movies, because one second I'll talk about Jennifer Lawrence, and the next second we'll talk about Suzanne Collins, but I feel like, I don't know. I don't have enough to say about either, too. <laughs> Remember in 2012 when, like, every gif, was of Jennifer Lawrence saying something about how pizza. she loves pizza. <gasps> oh my god. At the same time. At the same time. No, I knew, I was like, do I mention the pizza thing? Do I mention her falling down the stairs at the Oscars? Like, She's clumsy, and that makes her quirky. In terms of, like, impact, of the approximately 675 million books sold annually in the U.S. in... 2018, 80.9 million were YA fiction in the first six months of 2018 alone. Oh. So I will say, like, I mean, it was probably the, the trifecta. We talked about the YA trifecta of, like, Hunger Games, Twilight, and Harry Potter, like, really being a huge part of that. I mean, the Hunger Games books have sold over 100 million copies worldwide. In my essay about the Hunger Games, I talk about how much it made in the box office. 155 million It was record-breaking at the time. I don't know if this is good or bad. I think it's not emblematic of just the Hunger Games. It's probably, like, a larger thing. Okay, I always fuck up her name. Is it Greta? Greta Thunberg, I think. Thunberg? Okay. She is kind of... I mean, before her, it was, like, Malala. And then you have Greta now. um, Kind of becoming, like, this youth will save us all. And then she kind of gets turned into, like... Not a meme, but whatever the endearing version of a meme is, like, like, uh, like a symbol. And I don't think it's just because of the Hunger Games that we, like, look to a teenage girl to, like, quote-unquote save us all. People need to simplify their causes to a person or a symbol, and, like, often, you know, one person ends up being like that. Like, that's why you have, like, Gandhi was the face of, like, Indian independence. Martin Luther King is the face of the civil rights movement. Like, you, yeah. so you need a person. Don't think it's, like, Katniss's fault. Um, but I think this kind of push towards young people being, like, those saviors when really children should just be allowed to be children. Now that you're talking about it, thematically, it kind of makes a lot of sense and it kind of ties into some greater thoughts about how books about revolution actually obfuscate revolution. Mm -hmm. So in The Hunger Games, they talk a lot about how Katniss is just a figurehead. She's not, like, doing the, like, work of the revolution. She's not even allowed to know about the work of the revolution. But because she's the point of view character and it's easier to process the work of one person than it is to process the work of a movement of people. Right. We've reached a kind of point of impotence when it comes to social change. And Mm -hmm. I don't think these books have caused that kind of impotence. I think there are a lot of things. But I think they do enforce that sense of this isn't something that happens in real life and kind of this chosen one symptom of, like, the only, like, context I have for revolutionary levels of change is this person who can do it when in reality the revolution is millions of people doing boring work in offices (laughs) yeah and with other people 
and it's not that sexy. Even when it's dramatic and violent, it's not sexy. No. And so it's funny because in the books, it's not sexy. In the movies, it's kind of sexy. They try to make it sexy. Well, because it's all a visual medium, you got to make it sexy. I mean, part of the whole point of the books is that the they're trying to sex up their own revolution. Yeah, with like promos. And <laughs> yeah, and like, and like trying. And Katniss talks about how like they do her makeup to make her look beaten up in a sexy Dirty. way. Yeah. It, well, in a lot of ways, the Hunger Games movie really like do sex up the revolution in a way that makes it feel unattainable. So yeah. that is culturally significant. I don't know if it has. I I, I don't want to put that all on the Hunger Games. Like, I'm not going to say Suzanne Collins stopped the revolution. No, it's kind of the most culturally ironic that the movies end up being the kind of symptom of the thing that Suzanne Collins is writing about. And I again, this is not another thought that I think we can only put on the Hunger Games, but I feel like our inability to kind of tell like what is reality now and like what isn't because of, like, I don't know, like, Cam and I watched, like, The Social Dilemma. I think Cam told me to watch it. And, like, it talks about the way algorithms work, and it can kind of trick you. Like, if you if you already are a conspiracy theorist or, like, a QAnon person, like, the algorithm will continue to, like, feed you scarier and scarier stuff until you, you've believed, now you believe you're in your own Hunger Games. And I, the irony that the fe- like that it's called the capital is not lost on me. But like there's something in there about like the way what is framed to us as reality television messes with our minds or like reality on the internet messes with our minds and then has created a kind of like pseudo reality in which we decide to rebel against but I think this is more about like a specific group of people that have now like tricked themselves into thinking they're in their own like YA dystopian novel yeah when when, like you and I also sometimes probably feel like we're in a separate YA dystopian novel the same dystopian novel but like and from the same point of view from yeah yeah, but it's not weird, racist. But not <laughs> racist. Um, did that make any sense? It it did. Like our reality is so um independently constructed on purpose by people who aren't us. Yeah. It, it makes these narratives about revolution and about totalitarianism and about anti capitalism strangely close to home and far from home this is like what you were saying about the capital riot and you're like america's too big to like have a revolution in because you could be at home in colorado and like something could happen in like texas and you would only be able to see it on twitter dm bitch why podcast for my theory on why revolutions can't happen in america anymore and like i remember like during the black lives matter protests like when they hit a huge peak like in the summertime like my parents would see something on cnn but i'd see something completely different on twitter and that like alters perception because our reality is shaped by so many different factors well it's almost easier to think about overthrowing or or even just like processing um a totalitarian existence where all of the media is run through the capital and like the mm. like everything you know <laughs> is this universe whereas like the world we live in that is actual is millions of perceptions of existence this got really cerebral <laughs> yeah like millions of perceptions of existence constantly constantly like being bombarded at millions of people so mm-hmm. that my entire construction of reality is like fully different from someone who lives next door to me in indiana mm-hmm. let alone someone who lives in a different country than i live in i was gonna say on a different planet and then i was like Aliens. We can't talk about aliens. We can't talk about Fermi's paradox. (laughs) Not today. Not today. (laughs) Okay. First of all, I think the way Katniss experiences femininity resonated with me as a non-binary person. That's my whole thought. Sick. But I wrote an essay about the Hunger Games and Hamilton and Revolution. And here's the end. I sometimes watch the news and feel like a lighter rundown of gasoline, like I am part of a world that just clicks over and over and never catches. I feel caught between the celestial dream of revolution and an unbearable reality. 
I feel too far in the middle of the timeline. I feel like an angry knife doled on some sandstone in the unrevolutionary desert. I think that when the world fades away, it will be because we ran out of lighter fluid. Like a fly and amber, I will be caught in a moment of indecision. Not really. I think when the world fades away, it will be because I cared more about the romance or the air conditioning or the music than the people. Not really. I think it will be because the characters were already cast, the scrappy underdogs frozen in prose, and I am not one of them. They are too far away, too perfectly framed, too dystopian and impossible. That's my essay. That kind of ends in the same tone as the last Hunger Games book. Yeah. Nothing is ever as clean as it pretends to be. This episode really, Holy like, fuck. took us somewhere. <laughs> We really like ooh. Suzanne. You did this. Yeah, um, go off. I think queen. also just like the right now that we're living in is very the vibes. The vibes are off. <laughs> Spitch meter time. Bitch meter is where we give you the math that we did. We have two bitch meters today. Let's just do like queer book movie gender book movie okay cool for queer what do we give them both the book and the movie get a na minus one um we gave minus one for bait and for not having any queer characters in it come on it's like they're kind of coded as queer but then nothing happens but then not i think katniss was queer coded and suzanne was just a coward and sorry suzanne i really love your books Johanna, Johanna. Johanna. I think it should be pronounced Johanna because that's a sexier way to pronounce that. Yeah, they just pronounce it, I think, Joanna in the movie, so that's what I'm going off of. But yeah, you're right. It's boring. Boring choice. For gender, we gave the books a five and the movies a four. I'm gonna sin the movies a little bit for the emphasis on this kind of like, who will she end up with situation. That's where we're penalizing it because I feel like some of Katniss's like arc was sacrificed for this push and pull of like Peta and Gale. For race, what do we give it? We gave the movie a two for race and we gave the book a four for race because we read the books as having Katniss as a woman of color and that makes Gale a man of color and just like it just increases the representation like exponentially outward from that because we think there's stuff in the book that really emphasizes that um but the movie cast a white woman what can be said for disability we gave the movies an na minus one because it fully just like leaves out Peta's prosthetic leg um Beatty's in a wheelchair Annie and Katniss and Peta all suffer from like PTSD and and like mental illness and like it's kind of just all washed over in the in the movies um and that's why we gave uh the books a five in disability they really like we were talking about it and we didn't even realize how much disability rep was in the hunger games until we started talking about it yeah because it's done well i think i just think it's hot for body positivity we gave the books an na because it was so divorced from that that it just felt weird it's just felt divorced from body positivity but for the movies we gave it an na minus one how many times must i say that it costs zero (laughs) dollars and zero cents to cast a plus sized actor in any role in any role at any point i i love that there was like that push for jennifer lawrence because she's had just like a normal body and like people were freaking out curvy she's got curves is she but good for her. I mean, good but for her. It she... was like, is it, is that enough? Anyway. And then for class, we gave them both a five because this, li- okay, uh, listen to the rest of the episode. Watch them, read it. Like, I everything's about class, which gives us a final score of a four out of ten for the movies and an 8.5 out of ten for the books. Very high score, Suzanne. This all makes sense to me. I love when it makes sense. I guess it's time for Harris's hot take. It's time for Harris's hot take. Can I ask for your hot take on the Hunger Games? Yes, you can. <laughs> I hate the movies, but yeah, I like valid. I like I loved the books when I was younger. But my hot take is that everybody, well I don't know if everybody should watch this, but I personally like 
Battle Royale, the like Japanese. Stop! Movie I that literally has the said same this is Battle Royale with white more, people. Where young people are killing each other. Team? I just think it's more engaging. <laughs> but I was team not PETA. I hate PETA. Anyone named PETA can go fuck themselves. He's just a baker, okay? And I don't think he understands the plight of Katniss and her, um, I guess, class. Wow. Oh, PETA doesn't have class consciousness. No, not at all. But I don't think Katniss, like Katniss did in the earlier stuff, but I feel like... No, Katniss totally has class consciousness. Is it PETA also poor? Like, they're both poor. He's middle class. Okay. Okay. I liked Gale. (laughs) I know I shouldn't like Gale, but I liked Gale. Thank you for your hot take. I love you. Okay. I love you too. Oh my god. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye, Eris. I think it's so funny how people get really riled up over the team boy things when this book wasn't even about the team boy thing. So zesty. So zesty. Rate watch Battle Royale. What are we working on, Guy? What are you working on? What are you on? working on? I'm leaving my home. I'm going back to New York, so I'm packing and my house is a, my room is a mess. And I'm kind of sad. Aww. You know, I think it's just because I've been so used to being home. I mean, I was in New York for like a month to make a movie, but then like, ugh, it feels weird because I was home for a whole year and it feels like I have to like do the whole like nest leaving thing all over again. Yeah, leaving home for the most recent time I've left home kind of hit different for some reason. Kaya, what are you working on? I spilled some bleach on my pants when I was bleaching my hair, and so I'm embroidering over it. I've been kind of agonizing over what I'm embroidering over it. Are you, like, just doing it in the shape of the bleach? No, it's not, like, cute bleach stains. It's just kind of, like, ugly bleach stains, so I'm trying to figure out. I think I'm leaning towards bugs, so I'll have bug pants soon. I love bugs. I love their work. If you're a spider, hit me up for a collab. Guy is big, a big fan. I love bugs. I love that they're just crawling around. That's so I, cute. I appreciate their, the, I again, I appreciate their work. <laughs> Every time I see, I see a worm, I lose my mind. I love worms. Hello, it's me, Gaia from the future, because we forgot to talk about Lord's cover of Everybody Rules the World, which is the best song ever made. Thank you. Okay, um, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mitha underscore Thadani, T-H-A-D-A-N-I. And you can follow me on Instagram at Gaia Rose River or Gaia River Rose, depending on what you want from me. You can follow the Bitchboy Podcast on Bitchboy Podcast on Instagram and Twitter, and you can email us at b.tchwhy at gmail.com. Please weave us a review and weigh <laughs> us on iTunes. Okay. <laughs> No, I'm 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 committing to it. <laughs> All of the resources referenced will be in the show notes. Thank you to our editor and co-producer and gay god Cameron. And when when I say gay, gay god, I don't mean like a gay god. I mean the, the gay, gay god. god, the god who is gay. Um, and our graphic designer Jillian uh, for all the work they do. Good night, oh bitches. Good night, bitches. How are you enjoying your new dad's One Direction? <laughs>